1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. We're going to pick up at verse 14 this morning. And I'm going to read through the end of the chapter. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 14. Wherefore, my dearly beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to wise men, judge ye what I say. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we being many are one bread and one body. We are all partakers of that one bread. Behold, Israel after the flesh, are not they which eat of the sacrifices partakers of the altar? What say I then, that the idol is anything, or that which is offered in sacrifices to idols is anything? But I say that the things which Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to devils and not to God. And I would not that you should have fellowship with devils. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. You cannot be partakers of the Lord's table and be and of the table of devils. Do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? All things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but I will not but all things edify not. Let no man seek his own, but every man another's wealth. Whatsoever is sold in the shambles, that eat, asking no question for conscience' sake. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. If any of them that believe not bid you to a feast, and ye be disposed to go, whatsoever is set before you, eat, asking no question for conscience' sake. But if any man say unto you, This is offered and sacrificed unto idols, eat not for his sake that showed it. And for conscience' sake, for the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Conscience, I say, not thine own, but of the other. For why is my liberty judged of another man's conscience? For if I by grace be a partaker, why am I evil spoken of for that which I give thanks? Whether therefore ye eat or drink, whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. Give none offense, neither to the Jews, nor to the Gentiles, nor the church of God, even as I please all men in all things, not seeking mine own profit, but the profit of many, that they may be saved. So the title of the message this morning is, Flee from Idolatry. Flee from Idolatry. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the privilege and opportunity we have to open your precious word. And I pray, Father, as we would uh, study your word this morning, and uh, I pray that as, as it goes forth, that the Spirit of God would go forth in the Spirit of uh, by the Spirit and the demonstration of the Spirit and the power, and it would encourage and challenge our hearts and bring conviction where conviction is needed and help us, Father, to have understanding and, and application to our own lives for our good and for thy glory. And we do pray that we be in our midst who had never been born again uh, through the truth and by the Spirit of God. I pray that the Spirit of God would bring conviction today. Just have your glory... Have your will and be glorified in us. We do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, many in our day have forsaken what's considered traditional or Bible way of worship and have adopted a new and quote unquote modern method or style of worship. And this pattern after the entertainment industry. The purpose is to create an atmosphere that appeals to the feelings and emotions of people. It is soulish and sensual. 
Jesus is sung to and about as if he's a lover. You know, they have their worship teams. Their body language is that is expressive of sensuality, the swaying of the body, and many times an inamodest closing, closing of the eyes. You know, are characteristic of this modern worship. But the question we need to ask is, is it true worship? Or is it idolatry? You know, worship, according to the Bible, a biblical definition is, is to honor, to give reverence to. It means you defer or you give place to one. It's not an emotional feeling of the soul. In fact, the Bible says in John 4, twice, verse 23 and 24, we must worship him in spirit and in truth. It doesn't say anything about your soul there or the feelings. You know, the truth, unfortunately, the truth really doesn't consider your feelings. There may be feelings involved, but the truth doesn't consider your feelings. You know, idolatry is the worship of false gods as, for example, the worship of mammon, which can be riches, which is riches. You know, Colossians 3, 5 says, Mortify are therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, covetousness, which is idolatry. So covetousness is an idol, making an idol out of money. But, you know, you can make an idol out of just about anything or anyone. You know, the children of Israel in this, in this passage are used here, uh, used here as to how many in their time of temptation or trial or proving turned to idolatry. That's what they did. They still wanted to worship God. You know, you think about it, if you would go back to Exodus, they still wanted to worship God, but they wanted to make him fit their idea an imagination of who God is and how he was to be worshipped. They wanted to, to do it their own, uh, 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 by their own imagination of their own ideas. And what they did was they resorted to something they had seen in Egypt. The Egyptians worshipped bull calves. They had a god named Apis. I'm not sure if that's the right pronunciation. It's A-P-I-S. But they worshipped these. Go- of course, you know, the Egyptians had many gods, like many of the these nations of the East do. Many people of the world do. You know, the point here being that Israel was not in any way particip- You know, uh, desirous really to participate in false demonic worship of Egypt, but that's what they did. They they were not to do that. They were not to succumb to their feelings and their carnal desires. So, you know, this adultery, of course, is always a departure from God or a replacement of God, and is, it is also fertile ground for immorality, which we see happen here. You know, in Exodus chapter 32 and verse 6, the Bible says, and they rose up to play. Now, one commentator said, quote, this is a tasteful way to speak of gross immorality among the people of Israel, unquote. You know, their worship included eating, drinking, in the sense of drunkenness, and sexual immorality. The verb play suggests sexual play, orgies. 
And this is all connected with the worship of the calf. And so, you know, Aaron, you know, built this. He made a proclamation, and this is what he said. Tomorrow is the feast for the Lord. And how many people are thinking they're worshiping the Lord? And it is a God of their own imagination. And God calls it idolatry. You know, they were not intentionally kicking God out. They just wanted to worship their own way that pleased their own lust and their own desires. That's what they wanted. As, as for this Moses, we don't know what's become of him. See, their problem was they were following a man and not God. As we heard in Sunday school this morning. And the reality is, they had invited in the demons of hell. And God was distancing himself from them. You know, God will let you have your way if you persist. But it's a way of moving away from him. You know, in Hosea 4.17, the Bible says, Ephraim is joined to idols, let him alone. 1 Samuel 16, 14 says, But the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. Okay, why did the Spirit of the Lord depart from Saul? It's because Saul did not obey the command of God. And so the, the Spirit of the Lord departed from him. And then it says, An evil spirit from the Lord troubled him. Anytime you depart from God, you're opening yourself up to evil spirits. <clears throat> After all, God and demonic forces have nothing in common. Jesus said in John 14, 30, Hereafter I will not talk much with you, for the prince of this world cometh and hath nothing in me. So, we should consider this passage this morning. I want to notice three things. First of all, fleeing idolatry demands separation from the world. Notice verses 16 through 22. The cup of blessing which we bless, it is, not, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread of which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? So it's, it's, you're, we're talking here about fellowship with Christ in the church, around the Lord's table. And then he says in verse 17, For we being many are one bread and one body, for we are all partakers of the one bread. So there's a, there's a unity there. Behold, Israel out of the flesh, and they, not they which eat of the sacrifices partakers of the altar. What say I then? That the idol is anything, or that which is offered in sacrifice to idols is anything? But I say that the things that the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice the devils and not to God. And I would not that you should have fellowship with devils. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. You cannot be partakers of the Lord's table and the table of devils. Do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? You see, this fleeing idolatry demands that we separate from the world. We must separate from that which is false worship. You know, the context of this separation is places of worship. He talks about the, the communion of the blood of Christ and the bread of Christ. That would be in the, in the body of Christ, verse 16. That's the church. And then he talks about, 
in verse 20 and 21, fellowship with devils and drinking the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils, and you cannot be takers of the Lord's table and the devil's table. So there he's talking about, what he's referring to is, is going to the, the places of idol worship and sitting down with unbelievers in these places of idol worship. When you say, you're a child of God. He said, what you're doing is fellowshipping with devils. You know, there are many groups that call themselves Christian and call themselves churches that teach false doctrine, use worldly rock and roll barroom concert music type atmosphere to make people comfortable to have a meaningful worship experience. And what they're promoting is doctrines of devils. You see, the world is trying to bridge God and the world or the devil with these worship forms. It is a form of worship that appeals to emotions and feelings of people. Their emphasis is a worship thrill, an emotional high like a drug. One preacher of this kind of place said this, quote, You don't need more willpower. You don't need to get yourself together. You just need a greater thrill and a more captivating beauty. His name is Jesus. Unquote. So you create an atmosphere and an emotional thrill, just like the children of Israel did with the music. They had an emotional thrill. By the way, Moses knew that it was music. Joshua thought it was the noise of war. Moses knew it was music. I believe that Moses had some music training in Egypt. And he knew what kind of music it was. By the way, it was a kind of music where they made themselves naked. It was sensual. I mean, this mic sucking isn't new. And the body swaying to the music, to the beat, is not new. It's as old as Exodus chapter 32. It's as old as the rebellion against God by the old devil himself. See, so when feelings and people take precedence over truth, we are guilty of idolatry. And churches are following the world. They want to appeal to the world. They want to attract the world. But in so doing, they lose their distinction as Christian and are ineffective to change the world for Christ. They are catering to people who want to come to a church, quote unquote, and be made feel good. I don't know about you, but when... When I'm in a church, when, when, when I sit down in Sunday school and Brother Hoyle starts teaching some of these things, I don't always feel good. Because sometimes I feel convicted. See, church isn't to make you feel good, it's to make you holy. You know, when Paul was before Felix and Drusilla, his wife, who was a Jewish. And that whole family of Drusilla was very immoral. I mean, they traded husbands like Elizabeth Taylor. I mean, that ain't anything new either. 
And you know what Paul did? He preached. You know what he preached, though? He preached three things. Righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come. There was nothing about any thrills. There was nothing entertaining. And Felix trembled. He trembled. There isn't much trembling going on in a lot of so-called churches today. There's very little fear of God. And if we're, if we're going to flee idolatry, we, it demands that we separate from these false teachers and false churches that are teaching these kind of things. Otherwise, we are giving the message that we approve or agree with what is being taught in practice. You know, in our day and time, if it's not Baptist, it's likely teaching error or false doctrine. And if the name is Baptist, it's still likely it's teaching error or false doctrine. When our family went to uh, see the ark, and the ark of Noah, you know, I you know like to go to church when I'm away, so I looked up on the internet church and found one in Cincinnati. Well, yeah, it looks pretty good. And we show up, and it had it started at seven instead of seven thirty, like it said on the internet, one of those unupdated internets, you know websites and uh so we were late and we walk in the preacher's up there and he's in running pants and a t-shirt or a or a a um what do you call it polo shirt i can't remember what it was and he's preaching supposedly from ephesians chapter six and spiritual warfare and he tells more stories about movies and exorcism than i ever heard in my life and the kids said so, Dad, you take us there to make us like make make us really like Lighthouse a lot better. <laughs> and a lot of these churches use the same Bible same Bible ter- terminology that means something different than what the Bible says. Let me give you a few illustrations. We'll start with the Catholics. This is, and again, I've taken all this right off their church, unchurched websites. So I'm not telling you something they don't believe. Catholic Answers. Born Again, the Bible Way. Tim Staples, October 5th, 2013. Quote, have you been born again, my friend? Thousands of Catholics have been asked this question by well-meaning fundamentalists or evangelicals. Of course, by born again, the Protestant usually means, have you accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior through recitation of the sinner's prayer? How is the Catholic to respond? The simple Catholic response is, yes, I have been born again when I was baptized. In fact, Jesus' famous born-again discourse of John 3, 3 3-5, which is where we find the words born again in Scripture, teaches us but the essential nature of baptism. Jesus said you must be born of water and of the Spirit, but he wasn't talking there about the water of baptism. So that's the Catholic answer. How about United Methodist Church, July 2009, facts about baptism, questions about baptism, membership, and salvation. What does the United Methodist Church fundamentally believe about baptism? Baptism is a sacrament. A sacrament is something that has salvation merit. In a sacrament, God uses common elements, in this case water, as a means or vehicle of divine grace. 
Baptism is administered by the body, by the church as the body of Christ. It is the act of God through the grace of Jesus Christ and the work of the Holy Spirit. So baptism, you know, all these things. And then, and then there was this question, is it better to wait until they are older and let our children decide for themselves whether or not they want to be baptized? No. We no more wait for our children to decide about being in the family of God than we wait for them to decide if they would like to be part of our human family. As parents, we make many decisions in matter of health, safety, education, for example, uh, for our children. Of course, they may later reject what we have done for them, but this possibility does not relieve us of the responsibility to do all for them that we can spiritually as we do in other aspects of their life. So, in other words, you need to make the decision for them when they're little babies to have them baptized so that they are saved and members of the church. Church of Christ. We believe that all the baptized belong body and soul to our Lord Jesus Christ. No matter who, no matter what, no matter where we are in life's journey, notwithstanding, that means in spite of race, listen closely, gender identity or expression, sexual orientation, class or creed. So you can be a, you can be a transvesti- or a uh, transgender, you can be a homosexual, We all belong to God and the worldwide, one worldwide community of faith. All persons baptized, past, present, future, are connected to each other to God through the sacrament of baptism. And again, this, this comes off of Christianity.com. Churches of Christ believe in the process of salvation. Churches of Christ regularly teach that the process of salvation comprises the subsequent actions. One must be properly taught and hear. One must believe or have faith. One must repent, which means turning one's former lifestyle and choosing God's way. Of course, that kind of contradicts what I just read to you. But uh, And then one must confess belief that Jesus is the Son of God. Now, if we'd stop there, we'd be okay. If that's what they really taught. But it goes on. One must be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Presbyterian. They believe in two sacraments, baptism and communion. Many Presbyterians, churches hold to two sacraments, baptism and Lord's Supper. They believe God instituted these two sacraments and that they are a sign of the power of Christ. Um, Also, Presbyterians practice both adult and infant baptism. Infant baptism shows that God chose us, while adult baptism is a way to express faithfulness. Um, And so on. So what am I saying? They might use Bible terminology, but it doesn't mean what the Bible teaches. These are false churches. You know, to support false churches by attendance or financial support, even if it's family, is to fellowship with devils. It provokes the Lord to jealousy. And really, the idea here, provoking the Lord jealousy, is this. What we're doing is setting up a rival against God in your life. That's what the children of Israel did. And God was angry with them, and he judged them for it. It will provoke the righteous anger of God against you. You know, Psalm 97.10 says, Ye that love the Lord hate evil. There's some things that you and I need to hate. Psalm 119, 104, through thy precepts I get understanding. Therefore I hate every 
false way. Verse 128, Therefore I esteem all thy precepts concerning all things to be right, and I hate every false way. See, we need to see these false teachers and these false churches for what they are. They are deceivers. They are liars. I don't care how big they smile. They are deceivers. They are leading people right to hell, making them twofold more the child of the devil than themselves. They, they have given them a form of, 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 of the gospel, and, and they are comfortable in that and think they're okay, when in reality they're more lost than they ever were. And they're harder to win to Christ. You know, John, who's called the disciple of love, had some very strong words for these kinds of people. First John chapter 4. First John chapter 4. He says, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets are going out into the world. Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist. Where have you heard that it should come? Even now, already, it is it in the world. And in 2 John, chap, of course, there only is one chapter, verse 7. He says, For many deceivers are entered into the world who confess not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh. This is a deceiver. And an antichrist. Look to yourselves that we lose not those things which we have wrought, but that we receive a full reward. Whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son. If there come any unto you and bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your house, neither bid him God's speed. For he that biddeth him God's speed is a partaker of his evil deeds. No, don't have fellowship with him. You know, anybody, he says here, if we abide not in the doctrine of Christ. The doctrine of Christ is that salvation is through Christ alone. When we add baptism, we have departed from the doctrine of Christ. When we add sacraments, we've departed from the doctrine of Christ. And when we make God into an image that we like, that entertains us, we have departed from the doctrine of Christ. Because God is a holy, righteous God, a God of justice and of judgment and of temperance. You know, if you want to see Jesus Christ for who he really is, you read Revelation chapters 1 through 5. His eyes are like a flame of fire. And he's walking in the midst of his churches. He's not a lover. And see, if we're going to flee idolatry, we have to separate from these things, from these false churches, this false worship, which is very prevalent in our world today. You know, it's very prevalent in our country. Because it's easy. It's easy to be a Christian, quote-unquote, here. But I want you to notice the second thing. You're fleeing on adultery, 
doesn't mean isolationism from the world. It still means that we are permitted to have business and personal relations in the world. If you notice verses 23 to 27, you know, he, God doesn't expect us to isolate ourselves in the world. The Pharisees were isolationists. They were isolationists. They were legalists. Jesus ate with publicans and sinners. And so I want to notice two things here. Number one, you know, again, the idea is we're permitted to have business and personal relations in the world. We are not restricted where we buy. Verse 25. Whatsoever is sold in shambles, that eat, asking no question for conscience sake. Now, the shambles was the market. Most often, most often in that day, particularly in Corinth, most often the meat that was sold in the shambles had already been offered first as a sacrifice to an idol. But see, unlike true worship, idolatry is a lucrative business. It's a lucrative business. The Catholic Church is worth billions and billions of dollars. It's a lucrative business. As many false religions are. Just, you know, a lot of our worship today in our, in our country that calls itself Christian is just a business. They're making money off of people's feelings and giving them false hope. Makes me angry. Anyway. But so idolatry is a lucrative business. And so after the sacrifice, the meat was sold in the market. And Paul says, buy it, don't ask questions. After all, what is an idol? Well, 1 Corinthians chapter 8, he said the idol is really nothing. There's only really one God. So an idol is really nothing. And after all, he said in verse 26 here, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. One commentator said this, and I thought it was kind of funny, quote, the cow belonged to the Lord when it was on the hoof. And it belongs to the Lord now it is on the barbecue. The food wasn't the issue. The idol-worshiping atmosphere was the issue. It was the idol-worshiping atmosphere that was the issue, not the food. So, we can do business in the world. We're free to buy wherever we want. Secondly, we can enjoy limited recreational fellowship with unbelievers. Now, I know this may be a hard one to swallow for some, but look at verses 27 through 29. If any of them that believe not bid you to a feast, in other words, they invite you to dinner at their house, and you be disposed to go, that means you have a mind or you desire to go, or you'd like to go, he says, go. And what's there a set before you eat, asking no question for conscience' sake? So, you know, we can have fellowship with unbelievers. We can, we can go to their house. You know, this is, this bid you, it's not an invite to their temple, to uh, their place of worship. This is an invitation to their house for dinner. And I said, if you want to go, go. And eat whatever's set before you, and don't ask any questions. Now, you know, we really don't have this same kind of issue, but it does, has, does have a relation here to things we do. So, you know, again, fellowship with the world is limited as long as it don't compromise the truth of God's word. See, 
But if you notice in verse 28, he says, But if any man say unto you, This is offered to sacrifice unto idols, eat not for his sake that showed it, and the, for conscience' sake, for the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Conscience, I say, not thine own, but rather, but of the other. Why is my liberty judge of another man's conscience? So, okay, so you go to a, you go to a man's place for dinner, and, you know, that's not likely that you're going to, they're going to tell you, well, I offered this meat to an idol. That's not something we're going to hear in our, in our day. But he might say, I did spike the punch. Then it's time to withdraw. Then it's time to withdraw. Or, okay, we're going to get swimsuits on. We're going to go all mixed swimming in the swimming pool. Then it's time to withdraw or decline the invitation. Because, see, participating in those things would be a stumbling block to them because it would show or give the indication that your God approves of it. And it would, it would, their image of God would be less holy than if you declined. By the way, their respect for you will be less too. If you do not decline. You see, these things, these things are, you know, you know, we, you know, we've, we've left family reunions because the swimsuits start coming on. It does cause some conflicts. But I asked my, some of my relatives, okay, what is a swimsuit? Isn't it just colored underwear? They had no argument. Would you wear it to Walmart? So then why is it okay for us just to be, have it all, you know, showing it off all around during a family get-together? It's a stumbling block. Nakedness promotes immorality. It promotes immoral thoughts in the best of us. And see, these things are stumbling blocks, and when we participate, we are condoning them and can sear the conscience of others or affect their image of who God is. When we participate in these things, we are showing a lack of reverence for God. It will discredit the holiness of God in the eyes of the world. And... Is that not where we are in our world? There's no fear of God. There's no respect for God or the things of God. And when we as God's children compromise the Bible truth to accommodate the world, whether it's our friends or family or whoever it might be, we are defiling their conscience and corrupting their image of God and setting up our own image of God before them. Why? Just so we can get along? and cast a stumbling block before them that might encourage them on the way to hell. This is serious. See, really, that's what here he's calling idolatry. It's actually an offense. If you notice in verse twenty-three or uh, 32, he says this. 
giving, give none offense, neither to the Jews, nor to the Gentiles, nor to the church of God. Give none offense means having nothing for one to strike against or causing to stumble. In other words, we're not leading others into sin by our mode of life. Remember Peter's conduct at Antioch? What did it do? What did it do? It caused others to be led away in error. That's why we have to be so careful. Because what we do does affect other people. Then I want you to notice the third thing. In relations with people, we are to honor the Lord. Notice verse 31. Whether therefore you eat or drink, or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God, giving not, give none offense, neither to the Jews, nor the Gentiles, nor the church of God, even as I please all men in all things, not seeking mine own profit, but the profit of many, that they might be saved. Now, you know, so in our relations with people, Paul's saying here is that, that the Lord needs to be preeminent. You know, we're to, we're to give honor or reverence to him. In other words, we're to defer to him. He is to govern our relationships. He's, there's a, there's, this is a little bit confusing, as he says in verse 33, even as I please all men in all things. Now, to a lot of people, that sound, would sound like Paul went along with whatever happened. But study his life. Did he do that? No, most places he went, there was very um, radical reactions, like riots. He didn't live just to please people. When he says, even as I please all men in all things, in other words, my goal is, you know, the most pleasing thing to a man would be what in this world? As thinking about in life, for all eternity. What would be the most pleasing or the greatest thing could happen to a person? They get born again. So Paul's saying, everything I do is with that goal in mind. Therefore, I am not going to compromise the truth of the word of God and cast a stumbling block before anyone, whether he's a Jew, a Gentile, or a church member. I'm always going to allow the Lord to govern my relationships. If there are things that they ask me to do that would, that would, would compromise the truth of the word of God, I will not do it. it, it the, the word please here really means to have interest in others. Paul did have interest in others. That's why he went from city to city preaching the gospel. He had interest or concern in other people. That they would come into right relationship with God the holy God, and know that they have eternal life and be delivered from their sin and their wickedness. He had true interest in others. He did not seek his own profit. He didn't go along with or condone by participation with the worldly people so they would like him. See, we need to seek their profit. That is the salvation of their souls. Look at 
Acts chapter 8, 18. Acts chapter 18. And we see here Paul's conduct <clears throat> at Corinth when he went there. Of course, the church he's now writing to in 1 Corinthians. In Acts chapter 8, verse 4, it says, He reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded the Jews and the Greeks. And when Silas and Timotheus were come from Macedonia, Paul was pressed in the spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. Now, was he pleasing men? Because notice what happens. When they opposed themselves. Now, if you were looking at that from a human standpoint, you would say they opposed Paul. What the Bible says, the Spirit of God says, in opposing Paul and the message that Paul preached, they were opposing themselves. When you resist God, the truth of God's word, you are opposing yourself. You may be thinking you're getting the, what you want, and you may be getting what you want, but you are opposing yourself. And they blasphemed. He shook his raiment and said unto them, Your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean. From henceforth I will go into the Gentiles. Departed thence and entered in a certain man's house named Justice, one worshipped God, whose house joined hard to the synagogue. And Crispus, the chief ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord with all his house. And many of the Corinthians, hearing, believed and were baptized. And then drop down to verse uh, 12. And when Gal Galeo was a deputy of Achaia, the Jews made insurrection with one accord against Paul and brought him to the judgment seat, saying, This fellow persuadeth men to worship God contrary to the law. When Paul was now about to open his mouth, Galio said unto the Jews, For a matter of you of wrong or wicked lewdness, O ye Jews, would that I should bear with you. But if it be a question of words or names and of your law, look ye to it, for I will be no judge of such matters. And he drave them from the judgment seat. Notice verse 17. Then all the Greeks took Sothenes and the chief ruler of the synagogue and beat him before the judgment seat, and Galio cared for none of those things. So the chief ruler, you know, Crispus got saved, and now this chief ruler of the synagogue, who's Sothenes and the, and, and the Jews, bring this accusation against Paul, and they bring him before the judgment seat, and Galia says, I have none of this stuff. He drives him away, and the Greeks take Sothenes, and they beat him. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I want you to notice something. It says, Paul, called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ to the will of God, and who? Sosthenes, our brother. This isn't Crispus. Because he's going to mention Crispus later on. This is a different man. This is Sosthenes who was beaten by the Greeks. Maybe we should use this method on soul winning. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But he got beaten, and that beat him. Beaten affected him in some way. It brought him to the Lord. Yeah, he was an instigator of trying to overthrow or have Paul arrested. You know, there was another guy that was an instigator of those kind of things that got saved. That was Paul. You know, many times the world will react 
in a violent way when we stand for truth. But oftentimes what that is is conviction of the Holy Spirit. We need to be willing to stand. We need to be willing to flee idolatry. We must be willing to stand for the truth and not compromise the truth. Because if we compromise the truth, what we're putting for them is this stumbling block. We're setting up a false image of God, which is idolatry. But when we stand for the truth, we are honoring the Lord, lifting him up. And Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. You see, in our lives, we need to lift him up. We need to honor him. We need to give him the reverence. We need to, give, we need to defer to him and not to people. I'm not talking about being unkind to people. We need to be kind and courteous, but we need to honor the Lord. Lest we be idolaters who give the world a false image of God. See, to compromise the truth is to accommodate idolatry. And that's what Paul's challenging the church at Corinth with. And that's our challenge to us today. Many are compromising the truth. And what they're doing is accommodating people in idolatry. And we must separate from it. Are you standing for the truth? When the pressures of life press upon you, stand for the truth so that God is honored and lifted up and men and women can be drawn to him.